0: This is the EWN Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy.
2: Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure of introducing you to Julie Serafin. Um, She's the Director of Science and Research at the the Higher Education Policy Commission, and I'd love for her to share today about what she's working on and her role. Um, so individuals can learn more about what HGPC does and in particular, what is the mission or what are the objectives that you're trying to um, accomplish, Julie? So if you don't mind just sharing for the audience, what is it that you do on a, on a day-to-day basis and just an interest in um, your, not only your profession but the organization itself?
3: So our name, the Division of Science and Research, doesn't tell you a whole lot, except that we're um, interested in research. And really what we're doing is we're promoting the growth of research infrastructure in the state of West Virginia. Um, So our office is more like a helper to the higher education institutions in West Virginia. And we um, primarily uh, help in them obtaining federal funding from the National Science Foundation. Um, We also have some grants that we administer that come from money from the state of West Virginia. Um, And basically we're there to help really any faculty at a higher, um, higher education institution in West Virginia that needs help writing a grant.
2: So will they approach you as a resource, like they have to know that you exist to approach you to ask for help? Or do you guys also do like, um, what sometimes people refer to as like roadshows or introductions so people know that you exist as a resource and can help them with those grants. What's the process for which you get involved with different PIs in West Virginia in particular? Well, some of it's pretty
3: formal. So we are actually the, EpScore Jurisdictional Office for the state of West Virginia. So I don't know if you've heard of EPSCOR before, but it's a program that's within um, the NSF, um, whereby West Virginia is eligible for um, research grants because they get such a small percentage of uh, NSF grants. And there are 28 EPSCOR states, or it actually includes territories like Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands also. But um, one of those grants um, is to build up uh, research infrastructure. Um, So we are the office that um, actually administers a grant that usually lasts for five years and is about $20 million that goes to a consortium of universities and colleges across the state that work together on a a big research project. So that part's formal, but we also have relationships with faculty across the state so they can reach out to us and if they wanna write a grant to the NSF, we can connect them with a group that will review their proposal and give them feedback. We also send out like um, emails periodically that that highlight grant opportunities that we think people in West Virginia would be interested in faculty in West Virginia would be interested in.
2: So I think what's interesting so it's not- both formal and
3: informal
2: so people so individuals can approach you like you said for the specific program, the EBSCOR mm-hmm. program, other individuals. Um, may see something you send out and approach you that way, which is also more formal, or just knowing that you exist as a resource to them, they can inquire or reach out and ask how they can work directly with you. And so when you're working okay. with individuals on these grants, how do you work with them? Like, do you you're physically writing the grant for them or they still will write a large portion of it? How, what's your role in terms of that support that you lend them?
3: Well, the major part of the grant is going to be written by the, the technical researchers that are, are going to be doing the research. Um, so for these um, grants that come through EPSCoR, uh, basically what we're doing is giving feedback on how to make that grant more successful with the NSF to make sure it gets funded. Um, so it's more like a, an editing um, type position And also fostering collaborations, because especially with the EPSCOR Track 1 grants that are called RII because they build up research infrastructure, um, it's important to have collaboration across the state. So some of it's we're trying to connect researchers who have common interests and might be able to work together
2: collaboratively on projects which I think is huge because I know a lot of the clients we work with or talk to, some of the challenges or even within certain universities and colleges, like one of the key things is where do I go to understand who I can collaborate with, right? So it sounds like you're able to connect those parties, right, together. And the other piece is how do I make my grant more successful because I don't know what I don't know in terms of making sure that it's competitive or that it will get funded. So what are some resources? So I think what you're highlighting is In the state of West Virginia, it's really helpful for individuals to know that you exist as a resource because they can get that information, get that what I'll call coaching for now, but get that additional help and support to be able to know how to infuse that infrastructure or build up their research. Um, Question I have is, do you also assist with like creating centers of research for some of these institutions and partnering with them from that perspective too?
3: Yes. um, I mean, the universities themselves, um, you know, have a certain structure for for how they want their research to be set up. But um, we try and and make it so that it's easier for them to work with each other, I guess is the short answer to that.
2: But if they want like, because I know one key piece of a lot of schools is like they want to build up like, not only obtain subsequent funding, right, for, but they also want to create these centers, I guess, of either you could call mm-hmm. them centers of excellence or, or research centers, but they're really, um, Incentivized to focus more directly on that. And that requires, I think, not only each independent university and their strategy and their resources and their faculty and their administration, but it also involves like collaboration with other parties to all collectively build that center, so to speak. Cause no one person has like all of the um, must needed research out there. It's really the collaboration of, and the innovation behind that. So yeah. Um, that's why I was wondering if you're helping with building of centers too. And then what do individuals yes. do with the, like, what is the end objective of building up the research infrastructure? Is it to um, support greater innovation, create, um, I mean, and maybe it's all of the above, right? Create workforce, um, to create jobs and industry, But really, what is the ultimate objective of really wanting to build up the infrastructure, uh, the research infrastructure within the state? Well, of
3: course, we want our colleges and universities to be doing um, cutting edge research that's important for their status as universities and colleges. But also, um, within the state of West Virginia, we want to to also be able to develop a STEM pipeline of students um, starting way back (laughs) all the way to kindergarten and um, fostering success in STEM in college and then learning how to do research and going forward with that all the way to the research that they're doing at the colleges and universities then creating spinoff companies that will actually be uh, economic drivers for the region. And that's an important feature of the NSF EPSCOR Track One grants is it the money is not purely 100% devoted to research. Part of the money has to go to developing uh, this STEM pipeline workforce um, development and education across the state, all the way from, um, as we say now, K to through gray, right, that yeah. <laughs> are, are impacting people across the state um, of all different ages, um, trying to make them aware of how exciting it is to be involved in STEM research, but also helping drive the the long-term
2: economic development of the state. Which I think is huge because I think what people don't understand is that research leads to commercialization. It leads to innovation. It leads to job growth, industry growth, all that. So that investment is really key. But the other piece is what I appreciate you highlighting too, is that it's starting at a younger age. So I don't know if you heard recently, someone shared with me that I have a five-year-old. And so someone shared with me that um, they're known as alphas, and the reason why they're known as alphas is because mom and dad is like, you need to learn this at a younger age. <laughs> and so, joke um, <laughs> because that was one of the main drivers. Like my daughter is involved in um, Girl Scouts, for instance, learning how to sell cookies, and I was like, great, she's going to learn an entrepreneurial skill set at a younger age. And then I have her working on robots and being excited about robots and my poor kid is probably like, why am I learning about this stuff? But I want her to be exposed to it, right. To develop that passion for that exposure. And when I say my poor kid, like she's not, she just turned five, not even a kindergartner and mommy's already like <laughs> shoving these things at her. Right. But I think what you're highlighting is at a younger age, um, it's not just considering these things once you're in higher education or in high school, but it's the whole continuum. And It'd be And I think it's interesting to ask people what they become when they grow up, right? Because oftentimes people talk about um, what they dreamed about. So I was talking to another individual who had mentioned her daughter is um, working for NASA, but she had this dream of becoming an astronaut when she was younger. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially that evolution of that inspiration. And that inspiration is coming from that research and from that curiosity and from that discovery Um side of ourselves that um, we need to explore. So I think that's powerful. Right. I mean, our,
3: our universities and colleges are doing really exciting research, but if nobody knows about it, it's, it's not going to have much of an impact on the state. So actually our office spends a lot of time on things like STEM speaker series, which has kind of been, uh, we had a gap there because of the pandemic, but we've actually switched over to doing those virtually now. Um, hopefully someday we'll go back to doing them in person, but just try, things that try and let uh, the general public know about this, this research that's going on in West Virginia so that it can impact people and especially it can inspire our young people to go out and get the necessary skills that they need, that they can participate in this when they when they get older, and then even beyond uh, beyond that, you know, to be able to work for the companies that's the economic development companies that spin <laughs> off from this. Sorry,
2: I <laughs> just came there. So, what are some of the topical areas or some of the um, speaker series? What have they been on? Uh, specifically in West Virginia in terms of topics. And when we're talking about science, techni- technology, engineering and math as part of STEM, um, oftentimes people think of engineering, but like what type of engineering and, and sometimes it's not engineering, right? So what mm-hmm. type of topical areas or things have you covered in West Virginia that individuals can be made more aware about in the speaker series? And is it really just only for the young kids, so to speak? And if I'm, you know, in my 40s right now, and I'm, like, trying to learn about STEM, does that mean I'm excluded from retooling, you know, to be a STEM individual?
3: Well, actually, so the STEM speakers are are for all ages, and we I, f- I forgot to mention, we also have a, a magazine publication that's called The Neuron, where we spotlight um, scientists in West Virginia, and so for for the speakers and for the people in the magazines we we try and get researchers who are doing things that are really interesting like our last one that we had for middle school age students virtually was uh somebody who studied volcanoes okay so that sounds really cool and it was really interesting to hear them talk about it but um especially our magazine focuses on researchers that were involved in our uh, current track one project which is very much related to West Virginia. Part of it was about, um, it's called the Appalachian Freshwater Initiative. And it it was about studying water resources in the states and how to um, detect contaminants in that water. Because I don't know if you remember back in 2014, West Virginia had a big water crisis uh, where there was a spill of a chemical into the intake of the the water treatment facility and it caused 300,000 people to not have water for periods of weeks. So um, actually that project kind of grew out of that and that is, you know, very relevant um, to the things going on in our state. Um, The other part of the last track one project was about um, studying what are called gravity waves. And it turns out in West Virginia, we have Uh, several radio telescopes that provide data about pulsars. And um, so there's a a big astrophysics movement going on in West Virginia that, um, you know, unless someone tells you about this, you don't know about all these things that are going on. So- Or you're
2: um, waiting for like your teachers to teach you when you're in school or like you're waiting for, I guess a trickle down, so to speak, but these things are being worked on live, like now. Which I think right. is really fascinating,
3: right? And there are things that that have a lasting impact um, on the economy of the state just through the universities, but also through just uh, just what's happening and what's in you know the everyday life of citizens in the state. It does make a difference, but you wouldn't know about that difference unless somebody told you about it, right?
2: Well, I think it's Took also the time understand- to communicate. Yeah, and I think the other piece is understanding like how it relates to your day-to-day, right? So like when you're talking about astrophysics and pulsars, it's kind of tangentially we're like thinking outer space or like like how does that relate? But at the same time, when you're talking about commercialization of jobs and um, industry creation, I mean, years ago, who would have ever thought SpaceX would be a company, right? Like that would employ people that would even consider the idea of space travel as a potential transportation mode or as you know what I mean. So like the I think that the relationship we draw between what we can understand, what we don't understand and how does that relate to um, uh, industry is sometimes hard for us to grapple. And so there's also that reason for why it's not as easy for us to acknowledge how much of an impact research has on our day to day lives. Yeah. And
3: for example, with the pulsars, uh, there you you have a large amount of data. I'm not an expert in this area, but this, this is um, my understanding of the impact of it is you have a very large data set um, that would be practically impossible to analyze uh, just by sitting down and looking at the data. So they actually use machine learning and artificial intelligence to analyze the data and tell them you know, here's something you should look at. And people who have those skills to be able to write programs for that and and analyze data like that can go into all kinds of different industries across the state um, where it's now necessary to use that type of analysis in many other areas in, you know, medical data in just data from business. I mean, their applications applications um, so it's, it's all very interesting how things are related So something you might not think has, well, any you might not think <laughs> has anything to do with anything in my daily life is, is actually very relevant. And people who are able to look at things in that way that they've been trained to do research are incredibly useful to, um, to society because they can analyze big sets of data. And that's what we
2: need. Well, what I love about the relationship you've drawn is it's the foundation of analytical skills that we're taught at a young age to question things, analyze, evaluate, think about it. And it's just the evolution of it and the relationship you just drew is even if we don't understand pulsars, there's a common skill set for individuals to develop, like you said, machine learning and artificial intelligence and But it's all about analytics it's all it's still all about this like core skill that as human beings are being taught to um develop or question or evaluate things and now that is what builds industry i mean who would have thought that now we're looking at artificial intelligence as the next evolution of you know that's been been here for a while but it's just becoming more more and more robust over time right to the point where maybe the Jetsons are right in the sense that one day we will look like the cartoon. uh, And and that's a whole nother conversation, but I I think it's um, really interesting to see the evolution of how things have evolved. So I really appreciate you sharing Julie, in terms of what you're working on, how you're promoting um, commercial development, but promoting workforce and research in West Virginia. I think that's really super important to highlight is bringing to light What resources not only are available to better support those in research, right, to help them be more successful at what they do, but also the other piece is bringing awareness to those of us that aren't necessarily in in the actual research on a day-to-day basis or not aware of what kind of research is going on. And I think that's super exciting for you to share and highlight a couple of the projects that you've seen being worked on um, that individuals can support, those that are listening can help support and learn more about and hopefully even more broadly, there's also collaborations across the states, right? And even amongst other countries. So research is not only um, in one geographic jurisdiction, but also is more broadly um, shared. So I really appreciate you sharing what you're working on, what, what's going on and kind of a lot of the topical areas. So I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as TheMarkUSA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes.
0: Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is 1 million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure.